Welcome to episode 133 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me this week is federal analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started. I'm actually in Kansas City this week visiting family and still celebrating that big Super Bowl win, so I'm just going to say go Chiefs. Uh, Chief Kingdom, I'm, I've been indoctrinated into, into that kingdom via my wife who's grown up here. But let's get started with my first topic. And I want to talk about Ericsson, and it's expanding its 5G indoor portfolio. And so the question is, what's the big deal there? Well, typically, indoors are very challenging environments with lots of metal, lots of interference, basically Faraday cages. And in venues, as an example, DAS systems have been the platform du jour to make this all happen. And uh, But what Ericsson is doing is it's expanding its indoor mobile connectivity portfolio with three new solutions. And again, these are aimed at technology platforms like distributed antenna systems or DASs and small cells. And what I really like about this, they announced a couple of different sets of hardware that are sized for obviously square footage and the configuration of venues and that sort of thing. But what I really like is a new software feature that they're releasing called Ericsson 5G Precise Positioning. And what this does, it provides location services for a wide range of use cases that communication service providers and enterprises can use, like asset tracking, tool positioning for things like environments and factories and mines and hospitals and warehouses. This is part of the radio dot system portfolio at Ericsson. And again, I, Ericsson has always been a leader with respect to this type of technology. So from my perspective, this really extends their footprint. And you know why I think it's important, obviously, you know, I've been talking a lot about private wireless and the applications that can be applied there, especially in things like manufacturing automation and asset tracking and that sort of thing. So I'm not sure if you caught the news. It broke about a week ago. We are a week late because I was in Europe. And so the news is a little stale, but wondering if you have any insights or if you caught that news. I didn't catch the news, but I did. I mean, I saw it, but I didn't really read into it that much. Yeah. I do think it's interesting because I think 5G indoor is going to become more relevant over time. But I think that one of the challenges that's happening, and I think I saw an article about this today, is that like big industrial towns and, and corporate business centers are struggling to get employees to come back um, yeah. and return to the office isn't working like they had planned. And some places are losing 30 of their revenue, which I assume is probably a 30% reduction in people. Right. So I think it's going to be a challenge for a lot of companies that are pushing for infrastructure upgrades to convince building owners and corporations to invest in infrastructure upgrades when you know their headcounts are down and yeah. people are no longer coming into the office as often. So it's really interesting, but I also think there are going to be some headwinds for this kind of a business. I hear you. And there's no question that there's a lot of downsizing going on. It just seems like every other day we hear about a reduction in force, whether it was the 5% across the board layoffs at Dell Technologies or what. But I do think that some companies are very focused on finding ways to make office spaces a magnet. And I spent time with Cisco last week at their EMEA Live event. By the way, I shared an article today on my insights. So hit at Willtown Tech if you want to learn more about what I experienced in Amsterdam last week. But one of the things that one of the Cisco team members was telling me was in the past, they had separate campuses for their Meraki business, which it's a beautiful building um, right there near the Embarcadero. It's got a beautiful view of the Bay Bridge. Cisco had separate offices, but what they've done now with hybrid work 
as they've they've blended these office environments together. So now the Meraki building is no longer just for Meraki employees. Both Cisco and Meraki employees can go there. And it's becoming a magnet because of the amenities, the beauty, the fact that it sits in downtown San Francisco. And I think even for businesses that don't have beautiful campuses with billion-dollar views out of the windows, providing rock-solid connectivity is going to be an attractive element for people to come back into the office. So I think your insights are dead on, but I think that something like indoor improving indoor connectivity can serve as a magnet to bring people back in the office, but time will tell. But with that, let's move to your first topic. And I know you and Patrick Moorhead, our chief analyst, were at Samsung Impact. I think it was right before I was about to fly out to Amsterdam. And you want to share your insights on a Galaxy launch and some other things. Yeah, so it was a pretty jam-packed launch. I wouldn't necessarily say anything there was really necessarily announced that um, was unexpected. They announced a new Galaxy S23 series of phones, all shipping with Qualcomm Snapdragon S, Qualcomm Snapdragon Series 8 Gen 2. Say that fast three times, right? (laughs) It needs to be shortened. But I will say what was a big deal at this announcement was that Samsung is shipping Qualcomm Snapdragon globally across all geographies, which they haven't done in a very long time. So no more Exynos on phones, S23 series at least. And they also that they would be upgrading their Book 3 line to all Intel processors, which... They actually have, I think the book two was also all Intel, but the first gen, they did a blend of Qualcomm and Intel. They don't have any 5G PCs yet, which is interesting, but I do think they will eventually bring back 5G PCs. I still have one of the earlier Samsung books with 5G built in on a Qualcomm platform. And then they also announced a partnership with Google and Qualcomm on XR. And that was the extent of the announcement. But I do think the announcement was designed to give the market a signal that Samsung is in the XR business. So when Apple announced their product, people will know that Samsung has already announced something. But I wouldn't necessarily say that Samsung has announced anything because they've essentially announced partnerships. They previously did already announce a partnership with Qualcomm to do an XR headset, but they didn't actually say what that will be, what form it will take, or when it will be available. But adding Google to this, I think, gives it a little bit more credibility. And I think it also gives Google an opportunity to re-enter the XR market, which they have not really, in my opinion, participated in since they, I don't know, Google Glass, basically. They've, they're still doing Google Glass as an enterprise-only product, and that's it. Um, They killed all of their VR stuff years ago. They burned a lot of bridges. So I think this is them trying to find a way to mend bridges and potentially get back into XR. Uh, But other than that, the S23 Ultra is the top end model. Also of note, all the S23 series will also ship with Qualcomm Wi-Fi. So Qualcomm gets a double win on those. Actually, Mm -hmm. technically a triple win because they get the SOC, the modem, and the Wi-Fi chip. I don't know about RF front end, but I have a feeling they probably also got that win as well if they're yeah. already doing the modem and the Wi-Fi. Qualcomm uh, is so pervasive in, in, in that area in RF, right? Yep. And I think S23 Ultra is getting lots of good attention from reviewers. I'm still waiting for mine, but you, I, I got the S23 Plus and that's quite an impressive device. I hope, I'm hoping to get my hands on the Ultra as well. And then, yeah, I think there's lots of competitors in the market. While that was happening, OnePlus also announced, launched the OnePlus 11, and I should have my review live on Forbes any day from now. Cool. And uh, yeah, that's my thoughts from Unpacked. 
Awesome. Yeah, I know T-Mobile got you and I both an S23 Plus, and I haven't been home long enough to unbox it, but I'm looking forward to playing with it. And I'm looking forward to reading your review on, on your experience there, as well as the Ultra, when you get your hands on an Ultra too. But let's move to my second topic this week. And I want to talk about the United States Postal Service. And can they deliver more than just the mail in the form of 5G coverage maps? So you and I have talked about Ookla and these other companies that, that focus on measuring propagation and performance and that sort of thing. But what, one of the big discussion points with the FCC has been around establishing 5G coverage maps. And our friend Mike Dano at Light Reading wrote an article last week about how the, the United States Postal Service can be actually a solution here in helping stitch this all together. There's an Australian company, it's called Randlytics. I've never heard of them. Have you heard of them? Not to put you on the spot. <laughs> I have not. Okay. We'll do a little bit of research on them. But what they've done with the USPS in Seattle is they're actually leveraging the mail carrier vehicles with equipment to basically stitch together 5G coverage maps. And I think it's pretty innovative because I always like to tease the postal service. You might get the mail some of the time usually not all the time. But I think this is a pretty interesting leverage of the Postal Service that has quite a large footprint that still delivers physical mail all over the United States. And we've even talked about Postal Service post offices serving as basically towers for FWA, right? In rural America, that sort of thing. So I think it's pretty innovative. And when you look at what the FCC is looking to spend, they signed a $45 million agreement last year with CostQuest to help them to develop these maps. But if this company, Ranlytics, can help leverage you know, the United States Postal Service, I mean, certainly Seattle is just a proof of concept. They'd have to blow it out nationwide to do it. I think it might be pretty innovative. And I know that typically on our podcast, you talk a lot about performance testing and nuclear and that sort of thing. But what are your thoughts? Can the Postal Service really step up here? I think they could. The USPS is the only mail service that delivers to every postal address. But I will say there's a lot of places in rural America where they don't deliver directly to the door. They'll deliver to a mailbox and then the whole neighborhood will pick up from the mailbox. Yeah. So it's not perfect. But I think as far as you know, those miles are getting driven anyways, and they probably are the closest to delivering nationwide and reaching nationwide. The only other company I can think of that might even come close to that is Google with Google Maps and right. Street View. So like maybe Google Maps is capturing cellular data while they're capturing images. Yeah. I know they're capturing GPS data. Yeah. I think it would be really interesting. I think obviously you'd have to create some kind of three carrier compatible appliance that can be attached potentially to the top of a mail truck. And maybe run on solar power and enable it to run independent of what the, the, the driver is doing really does create a map. Because honestly, I think our biggest problem is we lack data. And I agree that there should be a government agency that monitors this because truthfully, I don't think any of the carriers are being held to account to no. provide good coverage maps. And yeah. it should be legislated, but unfortunately, a lot of these carriers spend a lot of money on lobbying to avoid that. Yeah. And the other point too, there could be some feeding of the data if it's, if the FCC just solely relies on 
the mobile network operators to provide those coverage maps because that's typically a chest beating exercise. T-Mobile has been the most aggressive, obviously, because they've been in front of their other competitors in the U.S. with respect to deploying 5G. But yeah, I agree. There needs to be there needs to be some impartiality there. And I think it's just, it's an interesting, it's an interesting use case. Like to your point, didn't really think about that. There are a lot of parts of rural America where, yeah, it's not getting delivered to the door. Also, what I've noticed in rural Texas, as a cyclist, when I'm outside of Austin, there are a lot of mail delivery cars that are not USPS vehicles. These are personal vehicles and these people are contracted by the US Postal Service to deliver mail in some of these outerlying areas. So that would break down that model too, but it's interesting. I think we'll do some more digging on Ranalytics to learn more about them, but I just thought it was an interesting story. But let's talk about your second topic this week. And you were talking about Qualcomm with respect to Samsung Unpacked, but you want to talk about its X35 5G modem and it's the first release 17 modem, right? Yeah. So Qualcomm announced this modem last week as part of this coverage. And I got pre-briefed on it and it's a really interesting modem because it's designed, it's actually not only their first release 17 modem, but it's also their first red cap modem. It's designed to deliver 5G, not necessarily for the sake of speed, but to deliver the efficiency of 5G and the latency of 5G, yeah. but to do it at a fraction of the power. So they're basically saying that this modem does all of what you would expect from a 5G modem at half the power. So wow. this is significantly less power and it's really designed for the vibe I got was all applications. You could theoretically put this in a phone, although it seems like you really wouldn't. It seems like it'd be like an IoT. It'd be more of an IoT application, wouldn't it? It is It is more of an IoT application. However, it also felt like they were saying that maybe you could put this in tablets and PCs if, if peak bandwidth is not a concern, because okay. it sounded like they were able to get, I want to say 500 megabits per second is their peak throughput, which isn't crazy as far as 5g goes when yeah. you consider that it's considerably less power then it like blows up you know what they're talking about because they're really comparing this to a 4g lte modem because yeah. that's most of the iot applications are 4g or 3g so they're able to do this at half the power of what they were doing on lte so they're doing yeah. this in 5g half the power of lte with i want to say more than double the throughput okay. um, so this is like a it's a pretty big announcement for Qualcomm. Yeah, I feel like yeah. this is like one of their MWC pre-announcements where they announce a modem before MWC and then you can go and see it in person and see all the demos that they have. But the thing that, that's interesting is it has released 17 capabilities as well. And the reason why that's interesting is because that means it can do NTN and satellite communications natively, and it can do it based on the 3GPP standard as opposed to doing something proprietary which yeah. is most of what we've seen today. But when I asked Qualcomm about this, they said that they aren't talking specifically about, they're not specifically talking about satellite yet, but that my assumption would be correct that it does support NTN. Yeah. Uh, also, a slight clarification, it was the peak download speed is 220 megabits per second, and the peak upload is 100 megabits per second. Okay. And, it support, and it supports both Voner and Volte for calling services. And it supports 20 megahertz of bandwidth and it supports 5G NR Lite, uh, FDD standalone, TDD sub six, FDD and LTE cellular technology. So it's, it's pretty, like, yeah. 
across the board capable. But to your point, this is absolutely an IoT application first. Yeah. And that's why they talked about the power levels being half of what it was on LTE. And I think it sounds like this is also maybe even drop-in upgradable, where if you designed for LTE with this chipset, you could easily transition to 5G and not worry about whether or not you can design for the future. So I think this is one of those solutions where Qualcomm is trying to create a five or 10 year roadmap chipset. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like there might also be other chipsets in this series. I think they also announced another one. I'm trying to find that because it happened like more than a week ago and we've both been quite hammered heavily in the last <laughs> week with information. I'm vaguely remembering there was another X30 series, but essentially these are all designed for T applications and they're not integrated. These are discrete modems. Got it. Yeah, and it, there's no secret that Qualcomm, one of their superpowers is designing very power efficient chipsets and modems and solutions. And this really plays into their strengths from my perspective. And yeah, it sounds like it's uh, it's low band, it's about propagation, it's about less about devices and more about IoT. But yeah, it'll be interesting. You mentioned Mobile World Congress, both you and I and Patrick Moorhead, our chief analyst, will all be attending MWC. And I expect that you and I will probably do a preview podcast before we get on our flights next week to head there. Our listeners and viewers stay tuned for that. But let's go to my third and final topic this week. And I want to talk about another GSMA event. So this is Mobile World Congress Asia. I've attended in the past, but they did announce last week that they are returning to Shanghai, China this year. And so it got me thinking, what does this mean for an embattled China? There's no secret that the geopolitics are high with respect to Russia and China these days with uh, all of the drama with that balloon and it getting shot by that fighter jet. And I read it had the equivalent of three school buses in size and weight of equipment on it. But with all that said, I'm wondering, like, our, our visas probably expired, right? During COVID, so how many folks does the GSMA think they're going to be able to get at that event? Are they going to all be folks that are within China? But I mean, and then you've got Huawei. They will be at Mobile World Congress. It'll be interesting. They've invited me to swing by their booth. So I'm probably going to do that and see what they're all about. But They also yeah, invited but, me to swing by their analyst summit that they're having during MWC. This is all really interesting. I'm just trying to read between the tea leaves here. But what do you think about that? I think they're trying to capture the APAC audience that wasn't able to go to MWC or didn't go. And because of all the surging in COVID, I think this is going to be a difficult event to get rolling because COVID is still ravaging China right now. Yeah. You know, they have some of the worst numbers that they've had since the beginning of the pandemic, basically. Yeah. yeah it's um, questionable whether or not this event will really be welcome and heavily attended. I think it will be very APAC heavy like it always was. Yeah, I've never been fully tempted to go enough to actually attend it. MWC is a much easier one to justify, especially when you're yeah in Barcelona. Travel. So I think if they're going to have people come, they're probably going to have to find ways to get people to get sponsored if they're not coming from China. Yeah, And I have a feeling that this will probably be one of those shows where you get a lot more APAC heavy vendors um, maybe some of the Japanese Oran companies, some of the Chinese vendors, maybe Huawei has a bigger presence there. Sure. It's going to be, I've never been to that show, so I don't really know what the vibe is like, but 
just from what I've seen, it really feels very APAC heavy. So I think that will continue, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere near the scale of where it used to be. And if you look at where MWC is today, it's even still a fraction of what it was before. I think that's, that show's going to struggle. And I just think that GSMA is just trying to get the gears moving again on the events that they were doing to keep their organization rolling because the events are a big component of their of their yearly revenues. Oh, it definitely is what they monetize. And just to clarify, this is Mobile World Congress Asia. So you've been talking about the big event in Barcelona, which by all practical measures is Mobile World Congress. The Americas event has been growing. They moved it to Las Vegas last year. It'll be in Las Vegas again this year. I attended last year and will be attending this year as well. But you're right. These are smaller regional events and they're going to cater to the local local markets there. I've only attended MWC Asia One. I believe it was in Shanghai. It was several years ago. And it's just a smaller version of what you in Barcelona, to your point. But I just thought it was interesting. They could have picked a number of different places to host it. You've got in Southeast Asia, you have some developing regions and places like Vietnam and that sort of thing that could have been hosts. You've got Singapore, which would be a very logical choice. I just thought the choice of taking it to Shanghai was interesting, but Isn't time will tell. Yeah, time will tell. You and I have been you and I have been there many times. But with that, let's move to your third and final topic for the week. And you want to talk about a network slicing demonstration with three really big industry stalwarts. And this has to do with with enterprise and consumer delivery to an end device. Yeah. So this actually happened like almost two weeks ago, admittedly, because we're late on the podcast. Yeah. But this is actually going to be demoed at MWC. And what it is is an actual network slicing demo showing both consumer and enterprise applications on a PC. So Intel, Microsoft, and Ericsson worked together to deliver them on Windows 11. So this is the latest Windows operating system. Yeah. And they did like an interoperability testing in Sweden to show that they could do this using a cellular connected laptop. This is like the use case you and I have been talking about for 5G PCs since yeah. the beginning where you take a PC, you walk off campus, and you still have the exact same experience, both in terms of security, in terms of performance, and in, per in terms of like your domain and all the files that you need to access, everything right. is essentially the same. And you can go anywhere with that device and it behaves as if you're on campus. Right. And that I think is a huge opportunity for PC makers and for, for Microsoft sure. and for the operators all at the same time yeah. to take advantage of 5G's capabilities and deliver a truly secure PC experience that is better than what exists today because so many people are logging into VPNs and yeah. it bogs down their PCs and they're doing them on unsecure networks yeah. and VPNs are still questionable if you're on an unsecure network. So these are the kinds of things where you no longer need to do a VPN because you are on the actual network of the whatever company decides to provision the network. These are true private networks. And I think the application is really incredible. There, This was an Ericsson release, and they said that it will be in the Ericsson booth um, for demonstration. They talked about using Teams and Office 365 and even using AR and XR capabilities with this kind of network slicing application. And it used Ericsson's dynamic networking slicing selection and their dual mode 5G core, as well as their RAN slicing capabilities to make this possible. So obviously mm -hmm. the network side was very Ericsson heavy, but Microsoft and Intel both were a component of this. And I'm gonna assume that if 
if this was an Intel-based system, it might even technically include MediaTek as well, since MediaTek yeah. makes the modem for this. But Intel does brand the modems in their PCs, Intel. It'll be really interesting to see this demo. I'm hoping to take pictures of it, maybe play around with it and see what the experience is like. I'm super excited about it just yeah. because this feels like a real 5G use case, something yeah. that you and I have been talking about for almost four years now. I agree. And you and I have also been talking about the possibility if we can find the time, because we are very booked at a Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, but doing some booth videos and that sort of thing and doing a mini podcast from Barcelona. So I'm going to, I'm going to set that out there. I think that'll be fun to do. And just one final comment before we wrap up, Cisco has been leading this initiative called Open Roaming, and it's a coalition as there are a lot of different companies, Ericsson and Intel are likely a part of it. But that's been the first step with what you're describing with being able to roam ubiquitously and have that same policy and that same access. And by the way, VPNs are inherently terrible because they typically authenticate users to a flat network. And that's how bad actors can move laterally through networks. And as I've been building the security practice for our firm over the last two years, zero trust is really bubbling up. And that's more about authenticating users to applications based on defined policy. And so what you described in that use case is very compelling because it takes open roaming to the next level on a 5G network. And then to your point, it represents a tremendous monetization opportunity for the mobile network operators with all of the billions of euros and dollars they're investing to build out those networks. But I'm sure we're going to see a lot of cool stuff at MWC and we'll have a lot to report back over the coming weeks. But with that, it's been another great podcast, a little late this week, but why don't you take us home? Yeah, and I just wanted to add, I think everyone in the enterprise environment hates VPNs. So yeah. <laughs> I think I the did when I went VPNs to is America. welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Even the people yeah. who have to run them, they don't like running them either. No. Total performance <laughs> hogs for sure, man. Yeah. I used when I worked I worked in corporate America, I used to just turn mine off. I'd just I'd figure and out. I'm sure your IT it. department and, yeah. and was really happy with you about that. <laughs> I left Compact many years ago, but why don't you take us on, bud? <laughs> Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Whale Town Tech, and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great week, and please tune again next week, or actually later this week. Because we have two this week. <laughs> Thank you.